Hey, what's up? Uh, this is um, the first episode of uh, Take the Money and Run, a podcast about heists, robberies, um, thievery, and uh, the like. I'm James Degro. I'm one of your hosts. The other host is Will Barricat. Barricat. Said it wrong. Yeah. How, how dare you? I know. We know each other so well. <laughs> So what's I up, like dude? The, uh, I like the punk rock intro song. Could you hear it? I wasn't sure how it was going to go through. Yeah, yeah, I heard it. That was uh, that was pretty awesome. Word. I, I stumbled across that song looking at the... Uh, what's that guy that sung the other Take the Money and Run song? No, uh, Was that The Clash? No, well, they had a song about robbing something. Anyway. Hey, boys. Well... <laughs> I'm just going to start naming all the songs I know about, or all the people I know who sang about Rob and stuff. And just yelling. All right. So, uh, so yeah, have it, are, are you familiar with, um, have you ever stolen anything? Um, I actually am not big into stealing as much as I am into crime. Um, I did steal, uh, like, some packs of star wars cards from the local game shop when i was a kid and i felt so bad about it i ended up going and like hiding 20 bucks behind the cash register later on um so yeah i'm I'm a terrible thief okay that's you really went to like great lengths to make it right yeah yeah no i mean uh if you know if i was stealing from like you know a bank or someone who had it coming like robin hood style I don't think I'd feel bad about that, but uh, the guy was on drugs because his wife just left him, so he couldn't really pay attention to the store and notice that people were ripping him off, so I felt kind of bad about it. I understand. That yeah. sucks. How about you? What have you stolen? Um, I don't think I've really stolen too much, honestly, like music, but I don't know. Not, I, don't, like, I, don't, I, I could never bring myself to like take something out of the store like put it in my pocket i just assume that anytime even in my room right now i feel like i'm under surveillance you know not in a paranoid way but just in like a 2018 there's cameras everywhere kind of way i and yeah i mean that's uh it's, it's got to be hard to be schizophrenic these days because you know where do you go past reality like everyone's listening to us all the time already it's like fact it how do you yeah how do I tell somebody that, you know, I'm worried that everything's listening to me without sounding like a paranoid schizophrenic, even though Alexa's laughing at me in the middle of the night? So, yeah, well, I mean, that's, plus, uh, plus, that's what like, you get for I, living in the future. You know, I and I always just feel like I'll, I'll be the first to get caught. 
I just know. <laughs> but yeah, I think I stole some Hot Wheels like from a preschool and my mom found was like, hey, where'd you get those those Hot Wheels? And I was like, uh, <laughs> and she made me take them back and I felt really guilty. That's like the thing that comes. Yeah. Um, so I think so I, yeah i came up with this idea for this podcast because i listen to murder podcasts i listen to other kinds of crime podcasts but like i, I never heard any stories of like actual big hype like people planning things out trying to execute it and like maybe doing stupid shit that we could laugh about but so i found a couple stories the first one i came across was actually turned out to be a movie called masterminds with like zach galifianakis and shit well that's got to be like fact and it's got zach galifianakis the great um documentarian so i'm watching like a youtube documentary and i'm like 20 something minutes in and i keep thinking to myself like wow all these cut scenes are really well produced <laughs> and i keep thinking that looks like zach galifianakis and then i find out that it's an actual movie and they were just like cutting and pasting in and narrating over so i was confused but i found a cool <laughs> Earlier, I asked you um, how your English accent is <laughs> because I found a pretty good one across the uh, pond in London. So, are you ready to I don't know, hear, hear a story? Cheerio! Right, right. Uh, Tea and crumpets. Right. right. Uh, well, that's not, that's probably Australian. Yeah, anything uh, I say. Shit. Australian, Irish, Scottish. Shite, um, I guess, in, in the British. Yeah, could all, it's all going to happen, so. All right. So, so yeah, so we're going to start, let's see, um, have you ever heard of New Scotland Yard, you know, the it's like the London Metropolitan Police Force. Okay, yeah, uh, I'm familiar, I've read the, um, what do you call it, the Sherlock Holmes books. New Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard. Yard, pep, pep. So, so there's a there's there's like a certain kind of um, quick response team for like you know robberies and big you know things that they need serious people to go to and like so like, in, in like rest- a SWAT team then. Well, no, like a, it's called a flying squad. It's just like investigating. Oh, okay, like, it's okay. Like uh, you know, direct action and more like after the fact. Oh, okay. Um, so the New Scotland Yard, I'm setting this all up, New Scotland Yard Flying Squad, February 2000, they get uh, a call uh, about this big event um, not too far away. It Basically, the, nobody's sure if it's like a bombing or a, a terrorist, you know, a, you know, or whatever. So, so the flying squad down there, and the guy, um, his name is, uh, detective something her majesty john shapford and uh, his team go to uh, nine elms lane which is a pretty busy street that's on the south bank of the river uh, sorry river thames it's a big river that goes through england i don't know i had to look at thames thames is that how you say it yep okay so uh so shapford gets there and he says it looks like iraq the play, like there's all these burned out vehicles and all this stuff and they're you know and this is like in, this is like in the middle of the city 
I, I don't know if it's like in the middle of the city. It was kind of, it's like a busy road, but in more of like an industrial area. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's, I don't know. yeah. In the middle of like where people are and civilization exists. Yeah, no, it's, it's like a busy street. That, that was like something that they said, what are you vaping? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you hear the vape over the thing? Totally. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting off the, uh, off the cancer sticks. I got me some uh, sweet potato pie flavored yam I am vape juice from the local vape shop. I don't like yams in, in regular shit. Well, it's delicious to smoke. Have you ever tried smoking a yam? No. Well, you're missing out. <laughs> um, yeah, so this podcast is brought to you by uh, sweet yam pie uh, flavored vape juice and um, in exports of Ireland and their products. <laughs> also, this is right before St. Patrick's Day, and I may have started. So, um, so as they're going through all this shit, all these crazy burnt out vehicles, there's like a, you know, like a Ford transit van kind of style thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A lorry, uh, they, I believe they're called across the pond. Yeah. We're going to get, we're going to talk about a lot of fucking lorries. So lorries, I, I'm going to say my mom's probably the only one that's going to listen to this fucking podcast. And I'm going to say, fuck. So I'm sorry ahead of time. Um, sorry, James's mom. Yeah. So I'm going to uh, swear too. So they put together, um, and the documentary footage is pretty funny. They have, like, funny old-style, like, guns, the robbers. But um, So basically what happened was um, this crew of armed men cut off this um, armored car with uh, 10 million pounds in it. And I figured out that the conversion rate um, from pounds to U.S. dollars is about 1.4. So it was, like, $14 million. Now, is that today or at the time of the robbery? That was at the time of the robbery. Okay. Well, actually, their economics. The conversion rates today. So, yeah. But this is in the year 2000. So, this is pre 9 11. This is everything. This is a long time ago. Yeah, that is a long time ago. Kids these days won't even understand. Weird, man. Yeah. So, all right, so they so they block in the armored car. Um, they they have this really interesting way of breaking into the armored car. They they weld or tie latch this giant like medieval looking spike onto the back of a flatbed lorry, and their plan is to just ram it into the thing, break the doors, and take take all out. Oh, yeah. so the uh, the spike is pointing out like horizontal, so it's like a battering ram type thing. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm picking up what you're putting down. They throw it in reverse and just ram it into the back and hopefully pop the pop the the can open. Dude. So crazy, right? Yeah. So what happened was um, is that <laughs> they they parked the truck like down the block, right? Yep. He's inside because they're about to jump in or whatever. The, the truck is blocking in this regular guy who's just trying to get out of his parking space. So he gets all pissed off. And I guess what you do in England when somebody's blocking you in is you go inside their car, you take out the keys, and you throw them over the fence. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> that, that seems counterproductive, though, because 
That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. You know? So I don't know. Maybe there maybe he could get out another way, but that's what that's what he did. So so they go, they stop this car, the armored car. They go to get in the truck and the keys are gone. So they're just like, what the fuck are we gonna fucking do? Where are the keys? They torch everything and they run on foot to let's see, a motorboat. <laughs> <coughs> they set everything on fire. Wait, inclu- including the armored car? Didn't say that. Oh. I think I don't think they got into the armored car because they but they, they couldn't set get their stuff on fire. All their stuff on fire. Wait, how they how they block the armored car? With just like a like one of their Ford Transit vans. Okay, so they had like okay, so they blocked it with a van, and they had this other flatbed lorry, as they say, ready to ram. But some um, disgruntled bystander had a road rage incident and threw their keys. And what the tiff? <laughs> What's going on here? Uh, Brits are adorable. Weird, right? So, yeah. I mean, I would have started honking the horn, I think. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, but then I would have saw that there's a giant medieval spike on the back, and I'm, I might have said, like, no, let's get out of here. Plus, there's guys in the street with a bunch of guns. Um, so they escape on foot to the River Thames. Um, they flee in a little motorboat uh, towards the other side of the river, I think north to towards Chelsea. Okay. Um, so, because they torched everything, there's no forensics, there's no evidence, the police are fucked. You know, they don't know what's, what's going on. So, after they figured out what had happened, they, they said, like, that's so weird that they got away in a motorboat. Like, that's very uh, unique, I guess. So, um, so, they started to label and research where cash depots and different banks high value targets were along rivers um you know near this uh occurrence so they could try and figure out like maybe they're going to do this again because the way that they torched everything like they had some planning involved so they're these weren't these weren't amateurs right yeah they're definitely going to do it again so they're more thinking like all right where where might they try and go next um so let's the police just, you know, thumb and ass, just waiting. Um, also, on the battering ram was uh, in chalk. It was written uh, Gertie, like a, it was named. They named it. Well, of course, you can't. You can't have an unnamed battering ram. That's like, it's like your child. So, um, July seventh, two thousand, um, Aylesford, uh, England. Uh, again, armed men uh, stop an armored car. You know, they cut it off. They jump out with guns. Um, they don't, you know, leave the keys in the car, and they and they have the battering ram. They actually hit the armored car with the battering ram, and it works. It gets inside. But as they do that, just a regular cop on patrol just happens to like drive down the street and sees all this stuff. They start shooting at him, and he like you do. He just throws it in, in, in reverse. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the bobbies aren't armed. But see, where I'm confused is I thought guns were illegal in England. That's that. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, well, how, how did how do they have guns? They're illegal. They're just really high level criminals, I guess. Whoa. My mind That's, is blown. Really? 
I mean, as a Californian, I just can't comprehend that. But anyway, go on. Well, yeah. So, so in the, you know, documentary recreation, uh, they had guns. And they were like, you know, World War II era guns. So it wasn't anything, you know, crazy or mo- very modern looking either. Yeah, but I mean, those things still work, especially if you're dealing with an, an armed police force. Yeah, that's true. But, um, but, yeah, they shot at the cop car, and uh, cop drives away. They freak out. They don't take the money, um, and they get in their car, their transit van, drive away, drive down to a river, hop in a boat, and they're gone. Just like that. Like that, again. So foiled. Again, these guys suck. Um, also on the battering ram, it said, Gertie 2. Oh no, that's just not not like unique or original. That's like naming your dog like Fluffy Two after Fluffy gets hit by a bus. Have been you like know? Gertie. How do you think that battering ram felt? I don't know, but it, it also said um, persistent, aren't we? Well, cheeky. They was some enough. cheeky. Cheeky bastards, indeed. So um, that day uh, of that crazy robbery or attempted robbery, um, a police officer in Kent that's working on, or a, sorry, a constable in the Kent, in the Kent police force um, was reading the newspaper and actually recognized the flatbed lorry that they had used, just seeing it in pictures. And I'm pretty sure he was able to like get the plates out of the pictures, match the plates to his current investigation, which was, um, this, uh, it was this property called Tom Farm, um, owned by this Duke Lee, Lent, 33. Uh, he dealt in scrap metal, um, low level crimes and bullshit. Police kind of knew him. Um, but they're monitoring his property because there's like stolen vehicle traffic there pretty frequently. Sounds like so, it. So they must have stole this flatbed lorry. Um, you know, welded a spike onto it, rammed it into the thing, left it there, and then this constable sees it and says, hey, that same one as this. So you, he calls the uh, New Scotland Yard flying squad and they, in a joint, you know, um, reconnaissance task force or whatever they call it, um, they monitor this uh, Tom's, Tom Farm place. Um, so at this point, what I'm what I'm seeing in the documentary was like actual police um, footage. It was pretty cool. Um, they record they recorded Lee Wenham um, on video, coming and going, seeing what his truck looked like. Um, they see some more stolen vehicles coming in and out, um, including uh, like a yellow construction digger, like a it's like a front end loader with the you know the bucket on the back too. Do you know what I'm okay. talking about? Yeah, yeah. So they see one of those stolen. Um, and in their recording of or in their reconnaissance, um, they start to see more guys come and like, recognize them as notable criminals. So, um, two guys, Ray Betson, um, he's known to police. He's like a high caliber criminal, and his right hand man, um, Bill Cochran, um, he's respected in the criminal underworld. You know, like he has a reputation and shit. Yeah. Um, with Lee uh, Wenham, and then the OG shows up a little bit later. Uh, this older guy, um, Terrence Millman, 
he's a notorious robber. He's like, you know, really respected by, you know, criminal, criminal underworld people. So I'm, I'm picturing Bricktop from Snatch. Is that an accurate assessment? I don't know what you're talking about, but probably. Okay. Well, you need to get your cinematic uh, viewing up to date because that's one of the greatest movies of all time. And it's British as fuck. Say it again. Snatch. All right. Add yeah. it on. Um, okay. August 25th. August 25th. Um, the police are notified because a speedboat arrives at Tom Farm. So they're like, oh, this is really interesting. This is yeah, definitely so the... Tom Farm is on the Tame. What? So that, that that farm is on the river or scrap metal yard? No. No. No, it's just like um, Lee Wenham, you know, brings it in. Oh, they me. drove it in like on a trail. Okay, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I got yeah. it. Cool. So they go in the boat. Um, oh, shit, I lost my place. Um, so so now, now Schaffer and the rest of his squad, like they know for sure, these are the guys that are definitely planning, you know, a heist again. Um, so they keep looking at you know different areas on the River Thames um, where where they could where they probably would you know strike again where they would get away with their boat okay so these cops are catching on what the cops are catching on they, they definitely caught on it and they're just they're just still waiting you know what I mean all right have to wait to see what happens because they're there's i guess that's what they do i don't know they, they don't have any like evidence other than the stolen vehicles and stuff at this point to tie them to either of these robberies got it forensics or evidence or anything concrete enough to convict that's what they're most worried about so it's almost like they have to let the guys go through and do it just until they're like you know about to get it and then and then that's when they catch them. But they kind of know already who's who's involved and who's running the show. Absolutely. Okay. And now they, now they see like these big level guys come in, and they know like our, that's the notorious wheel man. That's the you know that guy's specialty is this and such and such. Got it. Giving enough detail. Okay. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm understanding exactly what's happening now. I've got a vivid picture in my imagination. Okay, that's that's what I need. That's what I need. So, um, Kent Police and Flying Squad, um, they have complete surveillance on these guys, um, especially Lee Wenham. So when so they notice that Wenham makes a charge of fifty eight pounds, which is about eighty bucks. Um, and wondering why, and they figure out that 58 pounds is the price of family ticket to the Millennium Dome. The Millennium Dome is in Greenwich, England. It's the largest exhibition space in the UK. Um, yeah, so he, he's bringing him and his family there. Just can you picture? <laughs> how, how many kids does he have? What color is his wife's hair and what is she wearing? Um, the cops have all this on video, so you can definitely check it. Okay. But there's only one kid. Um, really? 
man, I don't know. They didn't even say if it was his kid. I think maybe under 18, and the kid didn't really commit any crimes. He was just there. There was a child present. was a child present on this visit to the dome. So Lee Wenham takes um, a woman and a child, supposedly his wife and son, to uh, the Millennium Dome. And um, in the year 2000, uh, this thing was facing crazy financial problems, like really bad reviews in the press. Um, it, it had already been plagued with like overspending and uh, low attendance at this point. So in the news for like really bad, so they're wondering why the guy would, you know, want when all the news reports are saying nobody goes here. Um, so a random, you know, in the room is just kind of riffing about it and he says well they're they're not going to try and steal the millennium diamond um no brings me to my next point they try and steal uh, the millennium diamond don't they try and steal the millennium diamond so dun, dun, dun. all right good well uh the big diamond it's it's like a teardrop shape it's really blue um it's called the millennium star it's the centerpiece of a 350 million pound uh, De Beers uh, diamond collection. Um, it's being showcased inside the, the Millennium Dome. When it was built, they had built this whole thing like a vault to show. So it was planned to be in there. So it's this like little impeg- impregnable, you know, room to pay an entry fee to, and you can look at these crazy diamonds. Right. <clears throat> so if you look at uh, the Millennium Dome, you know, from above or on a map, um, it's this big dome. Uh, but the the River Thames wraps around it almost 180 degrees. So once, you know, they start to put it together and really think like, okay, so Lee Wenham went to this place. He's, you know, checked it all out. Um, like, they can't believe that they're trying to steal the Millennium I mean, that's ridiculous. No, of course not. But it's got, sounds like it's got good access for a speedboat getaway. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. And that's why they, they put it together. So um, the, the police went, uh, they, 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 sorry. The police wanted to monitor um, Lee Wenham when he visits the dome with his family. So they went in um, Mm -hmm. to the CCTV room. Mm Mm-hmm. At the at the dome, and they made up some bullshit story that they're um, looking for street level drug dealers making hand to hand transactions. You know, so that's their cover story to just hang out there. They can maneuver all the cameras. They can zoom in. You know, so they have footage of this guy from the parking lot. Well, actually, from like his um, his house, basically Tom Farm. They see him leaving Tom Farm. You know, they radio in. All right, he's leaving Tom Farm. He, they get to the dome parking lot. They get him on camera and they have him on footage the entire time. They have um, like undercover surveillance officers, like with cameras and stuff, dressed up as tourists. They get within like ten yards of this guy while he's inside the dome. So he's just being watched from every angle at all times, and has no idea. <laughs> Man, These it guys, doesn't sound like he's very good at his job then. I mean, yeah. I, they're completely oblivious, and it only gets worse. Um, so, let's see. Uh, 
they did notice that um, Lee went, uh, when he visited, he went inside the diamond vault three times and he was looking at the doors and he was looking for cameras and all this stuff. So he's being a sketchy motherfucker like that. So they're certain that they're going to fucking go for the go for the Millennium Diamond. Okay. So they're just waiting. They're just like, do it, do it. Yeah, pretty much. That's yeah. I mean, I'll I'll talk a little bit about that later. But he he describes like um, that he's he's prosecuted other cases where unless unless the people like have grabbed the money or grabbed the diamond or whatever, they could say that they're there for some other reason. You know, in a weird defense. Yeah, it's uh, one of those like due process type things. Exactly. All right. So have to have evidence of them irrefutable that that what their target is and everything comprende gotcha all right so uh the flying squad calls this operation magician magician operation magician because it's so i guess it'd be so difficult (laughs) i don't know um i don't know how they come up with names for these things uh so it's the largest largest operation like in their history for sure um, but they can't just go on circumstantial evidence. They need to actually catch the robbers in the act. Um, the police have to contact, uh, De Beers, um, like the company, their headquarters to find out, um, when the diamonds would be most vulnerable. And they also have to like, tell them that, you know, there's a rock heist plot to steal their, to steal their stuff. That's, so. that's what you want to hear when, uh, when you've got like the world's biggest diamond ever. Of course, I'm sure they could uh, just cash in the insurance money. 350 million pounds roughly translates to like 480 million. Wow. That's a lot okay. of money. Right. You buy an island. I mean, it's been done. You could probably build one out of like. Sure. <laughs> and done. So um, late August, uh, this is like August 25th. I'm sorry. Okay. Is the- get him on camera and they figure out that all this stuff is really going to happen. Um, so they have to talk to Tim Thorne. He was the uh, head of security at the De Beers group. Um, they told him about the plan and he was totally skeptical. Like there's no way that they could get in that vault. And um, it's like a fort, you know, it's solid concrete. The doors are solid, you know, steel or metal. Um, the only issue was that, uh, will have to be open to the public, you know, for them to come and walk through and see the diamonds in their display case. So the display cases were, you know, I mean, half a foot of bulletproof glass thick, to yeah. the, you know, so or however many centimeters. Uh, um, and, and he said it would be like at least 30 minutes, you know, with uh, a sledgehammer or whatever kind of crazy contraption, you know, acetylene torches you know nobody's getting in there very fast at all if they're ever they sound awful sure of them of their security measures i mean they should be you know so uh so shatford and thorn um agree that you know the, the the heist on the vault is pretty much impossible and very much unlikely um they're probably gonna be they would rob transit or you know, whenever they're being moved, whatever's the most vulnerable. Uh, so Tim Thorne uh, sparks, you know, light bulb goes off and says, hey, um, on the first of 
September, the diamonds are being moved to an exhibition in Tokyo. So, uh, so they have to be moved by armored car from the Millennium Dome to De Beers headquarters in downtown London. The kind of armored car that a lorry with a spike could crack open like a can of sardines. It's almost too easy. Dun, dun, dun. Wait, tell me, did they name the, uh, the Spike Gurney 3? So let me, let, me, uh, let me get there. Okay. So yeah, 1st of September. So Shafford really has to put together a huge operation to you know, like ambush the, the guys trying to rob this car because it's obvious that they rob armored cars with this stupid spike and they're going to, you know, that's when they're going to get this diamond. They must have some kind of insider information. They know that the diamonds are being moved because when they move the diamonds, they just put in fakes. You know, they're, they're perfect replicas, but they're cubic zirconium. Oh, they and, put in fakes at the, um, at the like, place at, to look at them exhibit right okay. and diamond exhibit which i think is pretty ridiculous because how you know if you're trying to go see the diamonds right uh, you know i don't know i was at the natural history museum i think they have like geology kind of stuff there and you see some cool you know emeralds and things like that but I forgot where i was going with that but it was behind glass i don't know yeah well i mean why would you even if if you can just do that and charge people to go look at a cubic zirconium uh, replica. Why would you ever even keep the actual one there in the first place? That's exactly. So it's, but I guess in the year 2000, I don't remember entirely. I was in fifth grade. Um, let's see. I think I was in fifth grade, but uh, was the internet really like a thing yet? The internet was definitely a thing. It um, was a thing. Yeah. Were people link things like, <laughs> You, you, you would Google, like, where the diamonds are, and it would say, oh, they're here in uh, the Millennium Dome, but they're also in this ex- exhibition in Tokyo. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it's like, how, it can't be in two places at once. Because they're charging them. To, yeah, I don't know. I guess it was easier to get over on people. Back yeah. Then. People in 2000 were dumb. I mean, that was basically well, the Stone Age, right? That was like net zero, um, you know, also this, uh Had they invented uh, color photos or fire by that point? I think so. Okay. Water. I'm not a historian. I got like a B in history, so. 2000. <laughs> so, uh, all right, let's see. The Shafter knows he's got to put the crazy, you know, big thing together. Um, he gets... Uh, 300 or so um, agents for this huge, overwhelming force stuff ambush. Um, he said that the river was patrolled by police boats, so they were waiting, you know, for the speedboats and stuff, their trademark. And uh, he said that they were boats actually ready for a war. And I think by actually ready for a war, he meant in the documentary, when we talk about this in the future, you'll just have like 30 seconds of people uh, cocking and locking their their uh, their weapons. <laughs> That's all it was. It was just like a bunch. Got it. Just like a uh, loading and cocking montage. That's it. That's it. Yeah, loading and cocking montage. There you go. Perfect. Um. So yeah, ready for a war. Uh. So six a.m. 
Um, the diamonds had her taken out of the vault, um, replaced with the replicas, and the armored car leaves the dome at 6 a.m. So they have police helicopters, you know, watching them. They get word the second that the armored car leaves the, of the thing of the dome, and you know it's it's on. Like they're they are ready. So route. I swear, if you do that again. <laughs> oh, the vape. Vape, vape, vape away from the from the microphone. Okay, okay. So I've been vaping the entire time now. I know. Okay. You really don't have like a head rush going on. Is that how that works? Um, no, no. I think I'm just at the point where uh, I've got some blood in my nicotine stream, so it's <laughs> just where I'm at. Well, baby steps. So, um, the route uh, from the dome to De Beers headquarters in downtown London includes um, the Black Wall Tunnel. Uh, it goes under the River Thames. Um, they figured this is the most vulnerable spot. Uh, it's the most likely spot. Um, the armored car goes into the into the tunnel, comes out of the tunnel, and nothing fucking happens. Um, so they're still watching, and they're still waiting, and they finally get word that the armored car passed through the gates um, at De Beers HQ. All like everything's all clear, you know. Wait, it didn't get spiked or anything. Nothing. So, so Shatford knows that he like shit the bed on this one. Um, like this operation costs hundreds of thousands of pounds. Man, they're they're basically thinking, how else could it be done? Like they can't do it inside inside the dome. Like maybe it's not going to happen. Um, I bet he felt know. like a total wanker. Dude, total total wanker. Um, but. Uh, also on September 1st, um, the same day, a little bit later, uh, the flying squad gets a call from the undercover dude sitting in the CCTV booth um, at the at the dome watching the cameras. Betson and Cockrum, um, two of the main guys, are, are filmed at the dome in the vault looking at the fake replica diamonds. So they're, they don't know that the, the they have real no, diamond has been moved. No idea. That, that's why I'm how difficult would it be to to Google, you know, different exhibits that this diamond is going to be on tour for or whatever and see, oh, well, it's here and here at the same time that's overlapping. So one that must not be real. Clowns. Anyway. Um, so, so, you know, Shafford's stoked. He's like, all right, job's still on. Um, but he's astonished. And he's all, he, he said he was like excited. Because it was so crazy that they were going to try and do it inside the vault. Um, so, uh, Q in. Um, all right, I'm going to butcher this, but it's a dude's name, uh, Pi Gerbo, um, Frenchman. Uh, but he's the CEO of the Millennium Dome, the owner of the whole thing, I guess. So the the cops have to inform them of the heist or him of the heist because uh, to this point. The, they hadn't. They had just kind of snuck that guy into the um, CCTV room. Okay, so the wait, what was his name again? Uh, it's it's spelled P Y, so Pi, I guess. Pi. Uh, I like 
life of. And then his last name is Gerbo, I think. Hey, Gerbo. Hey, Gerbo. I wouldn't, I, can do I wouldn't trust a man with that name to run my Millennium Dome, but that's just me. He was jo- he he looked jolly. Does that say enough? Oh, so yeah, yeah. Like uh, he ate a lot of cheese. Correct. Gotcha. So, um, so they have to finally tell this guy, like, "Hey, look, the, this is definitely happening, um, and it's going to happen here." And he's saying, "Hell no! Like, I'm not going to let you guys, you know." have this operation in here because they basically have to let the heist happen back to what I was saying before. They have to catch them in the act. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So, so this guy is totally worried. Like it, you know, it can't happen in the dome. It could be a complete bloodbath uh, because there's so many people, you know, crammed into this thing. Uh, You know, now, nowadays the security for this kind of stuff would be through the roof, you know, but back then they had someone who said, uh, Back then, don't bring air- food or drink into the area, or guns or explosives. Right there, yeah, nothing. Like I said, this is pre pre nine eleven. This is you know, this is totally for everything. Back when I the think. world was safe. I mean, yeah, we were still innocent. Uniforms, um, <laughs> puppies, and such. Sorry. All right. So, um, Shafford uses like the you know national security like kind of you know well if they don't do it here they're going to do it somewhere else and like you know the lives could be on your hands kind of like you know trip yeah so uh, they're they're ba- this guy's basically screwed he's damned if he does damned if he doesn't right exactly so um but shafford convinces him and uh tries to give him some relief by telling him like this is the only opportunity that they know exactly what what's happening and they can do it in a controlled environment um and they have to, you know, they can, uh, sorry, they can do it and they can get them all the way to the point to where they have the irrefutable evidence and, you know, nobody's actually going to steal the, any diamonds. Yeah. Regardless. So, um, so Gerbo is convinced um, and they move on. Um, so Betson and Cockrum are, um, are recorded by the police again, uh, meeting with a fifth member of their gang. Uh, his name is Aldo Karachi. Karachi. Aldo Karachi. Um, best name in the whole story. Uh, he isn't known. Um, he isn't a known criminal. Uh, he's possibly background on him says he possibly needed money. Um, he doesn't have any kind of like respect in the criminal underworld. So in the group of these people, he was definitely like an outlier. Gotcha. Especially- so are we thinking he's the patsy or no no he's he's just a legitimate member of the crew okay Uh, i forget exactly what he ends up doing but i'll I'll get there entry level Uh, gang member yeah he's just you know uh i don't know maybe talk to somebody at a bar and they said hey you know i could help you make some money um how do you feel about diamond heists i've had that (sighs) conversation many a time I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting conversation to have, um, but the 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 police um, they're focusing on the movement of the boat, that boat that they saw back in July, I think, um, because they know that once the boat moves, obviously the job's on. 
So um, the police are record they they record uh, the te- them the guys testing the boat, but the the engine is shot, so they uh, can't use that boat. Um, so then on October third, uh, Terrence Millman, the older guy, he's recorded and identified buying a replacement boat. He pays for it in cash. Um, the police, you know. They followed him the whole way. They had him recorded the entire time. The footage of this thing is, is pretty intense. Um, but the, the police go after he leaves and they, they check the receipt. He signed for it. Uh, his name was Terry Diamond because he's a cocky son of a bitch. That is, uh, that is pretty cocky. What, like, yeah, I mean, um, what, what other names have people gotten screwed signing things with? What did Timothy McVeigh sign his thing with? For- oh, like uh, freaking, yeah, I don't know, like oh. James Fertilizer Bomb or something like that. <laughs> um, they also noticed that the uh, the yellow construction digger uh, thing was being tested at Tom Farm. You know, they were driving it around, figuring out how to use it. Um, but they were also like doing a lot of welding and like metal fabrication to it, you know. Um, so October 6th, uh, they actually moved the yellow digger to this um, couple miles away uh, to this abandoned coal yard in mm-hmm. Plumstead, uh, which is South London. Um, so this is like their new forward operating base, uh, and it's just a few miles from the dome. Um, members of the crew are filmed multiple times um, over the course of this investigation uh, in the vault, you know, checking out the dome. They keep visiting and they're they they're plotting uh sorry the the flying squad the police are plotting like these dates and times and trying to figure it out eventually they they plot this pattern and figured out that these guys are only going there at high tide oh or when the river river thames is at oh, sorry the river thames is at high tide so these bobbies are really uh earning their pay on this one really doing their fucking uh homework that's good out the high tide um the highest tide is like a 30 minute window so they have a pretty good time frame of like when when they're gonna do it you know um so uh here we go monday november 6th it's 9 30 a.m um public viewing hours for the diamond vault are totally open you know doors are open people are in there um police have actually deployed at the dome and they're undercover um, as like janitors and tour guides, like the janitors have, you know, MP5s like in their push carts, garbage cans or whatever. This sounds it's, so stereotypical. I love it. Cool, right? I mean, it, yeah. Um, so uh, at 6.50 a.m., uh, the, the yellow digger has started to started to go. Um, uh, wait, I lost. Oh, shit. <laughs> I lost everything. Okay, so where where's where where did they like unload the digger? Okay. Well, they got it from their 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 new um, like abandoned coal yard. Yeah. Rating base, right? They got together there um, at six fifty a.m. on Monday, November sixth. Uh, the police are notified that the the digger is moving. Um, so it's going through the streets of London. You know all this stuff. I mean, they have the entire route like filmed you see this thing with its yellow flashing lights like going around you know, roundabouts and 
So they're just moving it in broad daylight like it's a regular piece of uh, construction equipment. This is the job right now. Huh. They're doing it. This is the this is the high tide. I'm sorry. The high tide that day is 9:30 a.m. All right. So but yeah, so they, did, they didn't they didn't sneak the digger into the into the site. They just drove it in brazenly. They're driving this thing on public roads right now. It's in traffic. That's awesome. <laughs> so um, let's see. Uh, so, okay. As they're getting closer and closer to, to the dome, um, some idiots driving on the wrong side of the road uh, crash into each other and there's a car accident. So like traffic police have to respond. So there's cop cars, flashing blue lights, dudes in constable caps with like, you know, the yellow bright jackets like europe police yeah there's like black and white checkers everywhere and billy clubs and i'm i I got it so um so the guys turn around in their thing in their digger and head back to the coal yard they called it off so so shafford is so is so like disappointed and discouraged at this point it's you know that you know the cops probably could have just given them like half the uh half the budget for all the surveillance and stuff and called it a day like hey here take this and get out of the country and uh we'll save some money no one has to steal the diamond here's some you know citizenship papers you know yeah like go to go to belize or bermuda or something you know we'll we'll wipe out all your stuff i mean you know i'm saying this rationally but i don't think that's really ever that's not how government works they gotta send a message they beat you down. Yeah. But uh, so, um, so I mean, he even said, like, I went into my office and just like collapse, like, you know, put my back against the wall and just kind of collapsed down into like that fetal position and started, you know, wondering, like, what the hell? Like, what, what are we going to do? Um, he goes back and looks at the tide chart. Uh, the next high tide is the next day. Um, and it should be a little bit higher even. So they're like, all right, maybe they'll go again. At this point, um, Schaffer gets tipped that the media or, or the story has been leaked to the media or a newspaper. So nice. they're kind of a time frame like, hey, we're going to, you know, write this story. So he's got to move on it. So he says, all right, the, the next high tide is tomorrow. It's a little bit higher. We have to assume that they're going to try again. They have no idea that we're on to them whatsoever. So, you know, at 2 a.m. or whatever, he mobilizes everybody and he gets, you know, a couple hundred people locked and loaded. Again, we start arming and uh, we're back to the loading and cocking montage. Um, let's I keep losing my spot. This is something I'm going to have to work on. Yeah. OK, so the next day, Tuesday, November 7th. Um, police are already in position. Um, they're notified that the yellow digger is on the move, basically at the same time. Um, at the same time, they uh, catch on camera Terrence Millman driving like a Ford transit van with the, the speedboat in tow. So they follow him. Um, so they know that it's totally on. The digger's on the move. The boat's on the move. The police filmed the boat um, being positioned across the river on the north side. Um, They also keep filming the digger slowly, you know, going. It's in traffic. I mean, 
London has notoriously narrow streets from my ill-informed uh, opinion, right? Is that a thing? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, most old cities do back when they were made for, you know, carts and uh, horses and whatnot, as opposed to large automobiles going side by side. So, um, 929 and the Yellow Digger uh, is being driven by Betson um, with three other masked robbers inside the mob. They modified the cab so they could all fit in there. That's what they were working on. Um, and it's nearing like the final driveway approach to the dome. Um, but all of a sudden it kind of beelines it a little bit and it drives around and it goes through this construction industrial area. There's like some sand and piles of gravel, but it's like all adjacent to the dome and it parks right next to a gate all the way out on the outside of the dome perimeter. And it just sits there and waits. So the police just start to like in waves, they're like replacing staff and pulling with um, undercover armed police officers. And they're, you know, starting to limit the actual public and the citizens inside. Whoa, again. So this it's game on right now. It's it's happening. Um right as uh <laughs> right as this happens, um a fucking busload worth of kids like on a field trip come like flooding into the diamond vault. Oh man. This is <laughs> it's like they couldn't have written this any better if it was for a movie. <laughs> So, like, the heist is underway, and, like, all these kids are, like... In were they disabled the... orphans, by chance? They they looked like they were getting around pretty well. I'm sure they were, like, rich, snobby, tea-drinking fucks. Eh. Limey. But, uh, yeah, the, he, he was like, this is the worst-case scenario, basically. So, um, anyway, the the robbers turn around, and they stop. You're supposed to say really, and I'm supposed to say no. So that really, just... <laughs> fuck no. So the cops just go inside and they like you know shuffle these kids out, and they said, "Who the fuck let all these kids in here?" And um, at nine thirty three, uh, Betson driving the the yellow digger outside. He okay, floored... and, and this whole time these guys still have absolutely no idea that they're being watched by like the entire British police force. The entire yeah. They have no idea that they are 100% like entrapping themselves further and further and further. Crazy. Really? Yeah, it's cool. It's pretty cool, I guess. I don't know. Um, I thought of telling you this story from like the criminal's perspective without telling you that the cops were onto it the whole time. And then like, as we finally get to it, I say, oh, and then the cops run in at the last second and you're going to be like, oh, but it didn't work out like that. No, the cops were uh, just like waiting. Cops were like, hurry up, guys. Come on, get your shit together and steal this diamond. Can't afford this fucking overtime. Um, So, all right, 9.33. um, The guys were still just sitting out there waiting. Uh, Betson floors it. You know, he's on on CCTV. And uh, he floors it and crashes straight through, like, this concrete pillar. And forward through like to a gate so he's basically turned this thing into like a tank you know like they kind of armored it up a little bit they put in some extra seats did it have a spike 
no spike. Oh. No Gertie. No Gertie I'm, three. I'm uh, surprisingly sad about that, actually. I'd, I'd gotten a little emotionally attached to that spike named Gertie. I, it was it was really interesting, like a, a method of breaking into an armored car, I guess. Yeah. I want but, one for my truck now. Right, you should get one. You were talking about making your, your truck into a technical earlier. I thought that was a cool idea. I was, actually, yeah. Let's, uh, I, guess, uh, I guess it's meant to be. <laughs> so, all right. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. All right, 933, they crash through the gate. Um, they start, you know, cooking through this through this complex um, outside, through parking lots and, and, like, security areas. They crash through a second gate like a steel gate that's, you know, 15 feet tall, that screws right through. So at this point, are they considered to be breaking the law enough to bring in yet? I guess not. All right. Because like in the CCTV room is Shatford and a couple of his, you know, um, flying squad partners. Um, so they're just like, let's not even stop them. Let's let them complete this entire heist. Right. What, but listen, listen, Tim Thorne, the, the, the head of security for De Beers and uh, Pi Gerbo, the owner of the Millennium Dome, are sitting in the are in the in the CCTV booth with these guys just shitting bricks. Watching, oh, they're, you know. they're probably just like writing their resumes as they're watching it. <laughs> I mean, imagine watching like your security gate just get run over by this, you know, uh, glorified tank at this point. <laughs> that you knew was coming. You knew it was coming. Well, well, the police didn't really know the extent or the usage, uh, or you know how these guys were going to use this construction digger. You know, they never saw this coming. Basically, like the being used as a battery. I mean, um, these guys have a propensity for battering rams. So, well, all right. How about this? So it's it cooks through the second gate. All of a sudden, it makes you know uh, another hard turn and it goes straight through the wall of the millennium dome so they're inside <laughs> so they don't have to get through the glass they go through the wall well they, they they didn't get to the vault yet okay so this is just to get access to the dome but they're not in the vault this is probably the size of like a like a a major sport league stadium you know like with the dome top and everything it kind of has that look to it dude I it was like huge. It. Like the, the scale of this is really huge. And the fact that, that they just, you know, punched a hole through a concrete wall with their with their yellow digger. <laughs> you know, these guys probably could have had a great career as like fabricators and civil engineers if they wanted to put their mind to it. Like the I don't know, some of the best crimes are smartest people. <laughs> and I guess you could either go uh, you know, light side or dark side, I guess that, you know, yeah, pretty on. much every skill has an evil application. These guys like to weld things and, and ram them medieval style through armored cars. For they cash. just happen to be chaotic evil. And, and had no idea that they were being completely surveilled the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's see. So they, so yeah, they, they bust through the wall. Um, 
the footage the footage of them busting through the wall is pretty ridiculous uh from like the you know the security camera from inside the dome yep um, uh, at this time, the boat uh, is seen leaving the north side of the River Thames uh, to come, you know, towards this uh, pier. Not like a boat launch pier, but like a big pier. I guess you can walk out there on a nice day. Um, so it's gunning it towards that. Uh, these guys in bigger driving through this exhibition center, like down the hallways, through, you know, different things, crashing through stuff. They park right outside of the Diamond Mall. And the the four four robbers in masks and gas masks, or they, they have gas masks, hoods on. Um, the the guys described as like paramilitary looking, but I don't know. This is an old documentary, so terrorists and insurgents now like look look different. Um, but uh, so Karachi uh, stays outside. The guy that just came on a couple of days ago, and um, he stays outside. He throws a couple smoke grenades around. Uh, two of the robbers run into the vault um, with sledgehammer and this uh, this thing. And it, on, on camera, you can see them going straight up to the display case with this thing. It almost looks like a short shotgun. What it turns out to be is, um, sorry, I just got a text on my phone that vibrated. Sorry if anybody heard that. But uh, so, so they bust into the, Jesus Christ, there it is again. So they bust into the, into the vault with sledgehammers and this industrial nail gun and they put things straight up to the glass vault you know case yeah proof glass and they just start firing it inside is like um a little explosive projectile kind of things like almost like shotgun shells if you look this thing up it's pretty interesting but it's meant to like put nails into concrete okay so so they go and they hit it a couple times and then it splinters the glass enough that they just start smashing at it with um, the sledgehammers. 10 seconds it takes them to get into the vault. I mean, into the, into the case where the guy said it would take them at least 30 minutes. You should never trust a security <laughs> uh, company there. 10 They're seconds. Trying... What's up? The thing of firing it. And then, you know, a couple swings of the hammer and they have a hole that was probably four to six inches, you know, wide. Enough this to would take at least 30 minutes for anyone to break through with all of the highest technical equipment now. You could fire a tank at it. <laughs> sure. So this is 9.39 um, and Stratford has seen enough. So he calls in the fucking heavies. Uh, SWAT teams just... Um, throw in Wait, flag. so now the police decide to respond? Oh, no, I mean, this has been set up. This was already staged. Yeah, so yeah, but, but they let them go through all that, and then they're just starting to respond now. Yes, because they have to make sure that they have irrefutable evidence that they were going after the Millennium Star Diamond. So once okay. they're... Anytime before that, they're, you know, they could have been trying to steal anything else that might have, you know, I don't know in legal defense terms might have gotten them less time or something like we, that. We were just trying to steal the uh, uh, coffee cart in the lobby. Uh, we were just trying to scare some people. You know, it was just a joke. We <laughs> sick and, prank, know, bro. Weird and like, you know, you have to prove things beyond a reasonable doubt or I don't know how like the weird powdered wig that weird people do it, but... Lawyers are weird. <laughs> so... 
So Shatford gives the signal and uh, SWAT teams are like already posted outside the vault and they toss in flashbangs and the force of the flashbangs and like the, you know, everybody running in yelling, get down. These guys just fall on the floor. They don't, they give up entirely. Wait, were they armed or anything? No, which comes up later. Huh. So they did this completely without firearms. Interesting. Which was unlike the previous two. Well, I mean, that's that was probably, you know, kept them alive. I mean, it, but at the same time, they might have been thinking, well, um, they, they didn't really want to use the firearms the first time. The second yeah. time pulled up, maybe they just somebody somebody freaked out and fired the first shot. And then, you know, from then on, it was just like people were shooting. Maybe they didn't want it. And they were like, all right, if we're going to do this, we can't use the guns because if we freak out again, we can't just like mow down a bunch of people because this was like in public during viewing hours. There were supposed to be, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people inside this. Well, and also who's going to try and stop, stop a dude that drives a freaking um, tractor through the wall of a, of a building and uh, (laughs) takes an industrial nail gun and starts smashing through six inch plexiglass. Dude. They, you know, and they all have like gas masks and hoods on. So, like they look, you know, real like they're they're there to do some business for sure. Um, uh, so the police uh, move in on the getaway boat. Um, they move in on uh, Terrence Millman who was chilling across the river. Um, Betson and Karachi are arrested outside the vault. Um, Cochram and uh, uh, a new accomplice, um, Robert Adams. Um, he had a previous conviction for attempted murder. Um, he was also arre- arrested inside the vault. Um, they were, the, their, their pictures are funny. They have like some black eyes and stuff, but it turns out it was just from like the, the flashbang grenades was like all their injuries. Sure. So Adams had uh, actually joked, uh, wait, sorry. Adams joined, no, wait. Wait, that's a different point. I'm sorry. Adams joked, um, like, you know, they're picking this dude up off the floor in handcuffs. And he, like, jokes to the, you know, to the cops, like, you know, I was 12 inches from payday. (laughs) So um, I guess that's a funny joke. uh, Also, uh, 12 inches is about 30 centimeters. So I don't know why he said inches. Um, Yeah, that's a they don't use freedom units. That calls this whole um, that whole quote into question. (laughs) So uh, the getaway um, boat driver, his name's Kevin Meredith. Um, he was arrested at the pier. You know, they had some crazy like SWAT Navy SEAL looking boats, you know, that that just cruised up on him real fast. Like Zodiacs. Um, yeah. Terrence Millman, um, he was arrested on the north side of the river. Uh, he was actually like uh, disguised as a road worker with like some cones and his his van. He was the secondary getaway. They were gonna you know take the boat across the river, ditch the boat, jump in there, and peace out. Gotcha. So, but, but he got nabbed too. He got nabbed too because they had everybody under surveillance. They knew everything everywhere. Man, so I guess and, the moral of this story is if you're gonna try and uh, commit a robbery. Maybe don't do it in London, England. Uh, well, I think it's supposed to be one of the most surveilled places in the world. Oh, it definitely is. They've got cameras to watch the cameras that are watching the cameras. 
Um, Lee Wenham, uh, at the same time, uh, he's arrested at his home, Tom Farm, without incident. Everybody, everybody's arrested without incident. Nobody puts up a fight. There's no injuries. You know, um, there's no shots fired by the police, anything like that. Um, so uh, almost an entire year later, uh, the trial um, that's at this place called the Old Bailey, the Old Bailey. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, a that's a good name for ye old pub, ye old Bailey. Yeah, well, it's, it's a courthouse in London. Oh, it's a courthouse. Know. Yeah, it's like their. I, big I bet they still serve a pint at the courthouse because you know it's London. And there, I bet you, there's like some serious old school pub style drafts in the basement of there somewhere. Oh, there's got to be. It's it's probably the law. Um, so November two thousand one. Uh, Interestingly enough, this is post 9-11, so I don't know if that changes, like, any jury's, you know, um, reaction to anything. I don't know if I make that a bigger deal, maybe because we're American. I don't know. Um, you probably do. Yeah. So Tim Thorne uh, testifies at the trial that um, when, when the judge asked him, like, what he thought of the robbery attempt, and he, he said, quotes, the attempt was exceptional, or uh, the attempt was exceptional and brilliantly executed. And um, and at that time, all seven of the defendants were like thumbs up, <laughs> laughing like a job well done. Um, it was actually revealed in the trial that Robert Adams, uh, the accomplice inside inside the vault, one of the the guy that said he was twelve inches from payday, um, he had joined the crew the night before. Oh man! Yeah. So, so they figured out that wrong day to switch careers. Yeah, they figured out that someone must have backed out. They they was never identified, but um, because it went south, it, it didn't go correctly the first time when the cops were outside because of the traffic accident. Somebody yeah. must have screwed it. So smartest person in the entire story. So it it doesn't really sound like anyone was actually upset that this happened. It sounds like they were. Uh, it was just kind of everyone playing their part and doing their job, and this is just kind of how it goes. Yeah, the cops were just like, hello, you're here for the robbery. And the guys were just like, yeah, we're here for robbery. And then they were like, all right, well, just get on the floor then and we'll just, we'll just arrest you and take you, take you to the old belly for a point. And they were uh, like, 12 inches from payday, mate. 12 inches from payday. <laughs> so, um, I wonder if my roommates can hear this. I'm sure they can. Nice. Um, my, I'm hoping I can get this finished before my one roommate comes home, and then I'll have to. Everything in the background will sound like a modern warfare um, video game. Oh, do they have like the whole surround sound? And I don't know what he fucking has, but it's so goddamn loud. And uh, all he plays is the the remastered version of Modern Warfare, Call of Duty. Everybody, if you're listening, and um, he just plays free for all. So all I hear is free for all. You know. Like, <laughs> enemy UAV spotted. <laughs> oh man, all the time, and it's just gunfire. Basically, on, on he gets up a little bit earlier than me, so he goes to bed a little bit earlier. But yeah, I mean, it's all the time. Um. Anyway, uh, I'm taking up time before I hear the the war next door. So, um, defense lawyers, like I like I was saying before, defense defense lawyers argued um, because the guys didn't use any firearms that um, it wasn't armed robbery, which they were being charged with. Um, that really, it was just simple 
simple theft that they were really just accomplished smash and grab robbers, you know? Yeah. Which I guess is a less, I guess if you run into a jewelry store with a hammer and don't hit anybody with it and just like break glass and steal shit, it's not armed robbery or maybe yeah. somehow they'll robbery. Yeah. It's a whole different thing. You're not actually threatening anyone. You're just like getting through the glass, taking the thing and running. Well, it's, it's, it's a tactical hammer. It's an assault tactical hammer. hammer. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, in America, any hammer over uh 12 inches is considered to be a weapon of mass nailing. Here in California, we can only have um, eight-inch-long hammers. Yeah, that's uh, sounds about okay. right. It's a good thing Jerry Brown is thinking of the children. <laughs> so, anyway, um, but the the jury does not not buy that shit because the guys were dressed like like terrorists. They said um, they used that yellow digger as a tank, which could be considered armed robbery, and just like the extent and the level of the planning that that they put into this like there's no way it's just simple simple theft like it's you know they're gonna get charged with some serious shit so um the sentencing uh ray betson and bill cochran were both sentenced to 18 years for attempted robbery of the millennium diamond aldo karachi and robert adams 15 years for their parts in the job um kevin meredith got five years for conspiracy to steal he was the boat getaway driver uh and then lee wenham uh, he got four years for his job, his role in this heist as being the planning guy, um, the, you know, having the base there. He also gets nine more years for the Aylesford heist, which was the one where they shot at the cop car. So, Oh, really? Was he the only one that got popped for that? Yeah. Yep. Huh. And he never put anybody else, you know, he never talked so he was the only one that ever got tied to that and these seven guys were the only ones that got tied to this nobody ever else got charged well um, good on him for keeping his uh, mouth shut and then good old um our old man terrence millman he actually dies of cancer in jail by trial <laughs> well i guess he had nothing to lose well yeah I, I, maybe that was it maybe he knew but uh maybe he was doing like a walter white you know needed the money yeah. um so uh so yeah that's it the, there's just one last little little piece um uh what's that they were trying to figure out uh you know Sh- shafford knew like what what would okay everything goes according to plan they get the diamond they get in the boat they get away what do they fucking do with like the world's largest diamond you know what i mean you can't you can't go pawn that right you can't do really much of anything with it i mean it's you know uh 350 million pounds maybe maybe they'd wear it (laughs) i mean it's it's like a collection you know there's a bunch of diamonds um but uh so so they were trying to figure this out and you know shafford was kind of getting like told to you know work on something else at this point like this was his you know, epilogue of the heist movie. Yeah. And figure out, and he, he was starting to like, he said he was starting to hear like tiny little hints and that, um, that drum roll. Brrr. It was the Russians. <laughs> the Russians. The Russians. We must have dun, more. Dun, 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 dun. All right. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, so possibly um, the Russians 
a Russian connection of some sort had um, possibly, allegedly, uh, tried to contract out the heist of this diamond. So interesting. So uh, yeah, that's the that's the story of the Millennium Diamond, the Millennium Dome heist. Nice. Uh, I like there. it. But yeah, man, how long have we been talking? We've been talking. Let's see. Does this thing have a timer on it? I don't know. Just so everybody knows, we're recording on the Anchor app. If you want to download it, um, I think if you're listening to this, you probably already have. Yeah, it's uh, it's free. I don't know. I think we might be able to publish it through other things. Um, but yeah, we've been talking for 76 minutes. Cool, dude. Yeah, I gotta say this went uh, this went way better than I expected for a first one. Okay, me too. I think I stumble over words, and sometimes we might like talk over each other. We might have to kind of work that out. Yeah, but... growing pains. Um, but yeah, we should. Uh, yeah, I think I think we'll get the next one. I want to do the. Uh, I do want to do that 1991 North Hollywood bank robbery. That's gonna be a cool one. That's like that uh, Hollywood shootout or whatever, right? Oh yeah, that was that was a wild one. Yeah, that's that's pretty much like the inspiration for why I thought this podcast might be cool. So I'm really Great. stoked to hear. Um, I hope everybody listening is really stoked to hear about it. Um, Will, I want to thank you for uh, trying to take this journey with me. And yeah, thank you for coming up with the idea and talking me into it. This was a uh, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, man, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, I don't really know how to end it. I don't have any music to play, but um, the music at the beginning of the podcast was a uh, old band called Stage Fright. Uh, the name of the song was Take the Money and Run. Um, I don't own it. Uh, Peace so out, Girl for- Scout.